Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 47, the first of 2009 of the Peristyle Podcast. Everybody, welcome. We have a really exciting show for you this week on the podcast. We're going to talk all about the Rose Bowl, the big win over Penn State, talk about some coaching changes, we're going to talk recruiting. we got all kinds of fun stuff for our very first episode of 2009. If you have any questions or comments for us, as always, just drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com that address again is podcast at uscfootball.com in our first segment joining us all the way from Miami where he's down there for the national championship game the coach Harvey Hyde coach how's the weather down there in sunny Miami Ryan I'm telling you when I sit inside it's too cold the air conditioning <laughs> they really turn the air conditioning up. it reminds me like I'm in California okay then when I go outside, it's just absolutely beautiful. So when we go in, they say, would you like to eat inside or outside? I say, outside, because the weather's beautiful here. We're down here at Keep a Stain as we're getting ready for all the uh, action that's happening here for the national championship game. It certainly is a great setting, meeting different people from all over the world, not the world, but all over the you know, country from different conferences, commissioners, officials, uh, representatives, uh, executive directors, and rural commission people, and so on. And it's sort of a different experience for me because I'm sort of locked down. For many years, I was locked down in coaching. Many years, I've been locked down in broadcasting and staying at home for the Rose Bowl game and then trying to unwind to, to rest up. But they threw me on a cargo plane, <laughs> put, me in a, put me in a FedEx box, flew me down here. And that's worth every minute of it. It's beautiful down here. All right. Well, it sounds like you're having a great time. And just want to uh, thank our sponsor for the first segment, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com, 1-800-888-7287. USC football season's over, but there's all kinds of other sporting events, concerts, theater, stuff like that. You want to take your girlfriend, your wife, something nice, Valentine's Day coming up soon, take her to something like that. You can give SC Tickets a call, sctickets.com or 1-800-888-7287. In fact, last night I was sitting with some people at dinner, and uh, he said to me, hey, thanks for giving me advice to call Southern California Ticket Service because I got those two extra tickets I needed for the national championship game there. So it does really work out for people. Well, that's good. I'm glad. We don't want to be advertising that doesn't work, so I'm glad. That's right. (laughs) So, now, Coach, why were you going down there? I mean, I know you told me before you were with a lot of people. There's people from, like, the Rose Bowl committees. All the bowl representatives down there for the national championship game mostly they all are all the commissioners are here from all of the different uh, conferences especially the ones that are associated with the bcs uh the officials they're having meetings uh, uh on the next year's national championship game and uh the security forces are here from pasadena to go through the the procedures that the Orange Bowl are using and so on, so they carry some of their ideas back to Pasadena. But it's completely two different games, two different atmospheres, uh, the Rose Bowl or the Orange Bowl, along with the national championship game. So they, they are all here to work together to make it a bigger, better, more exciting football game. Television people are here, ESPN, ABC, and so on. Not just the ones that will be broadcasting the game, uh, next year, but uh, but also uh, people from all over the country that that they, with the media parties and the commissioners and the especially uh, uh, you know uh, VIP guest rooms and so on. Where you go in, and I had a chance to meet a lot of people yesterday that I've read about or talked about. That it's amazing how you have people who know each other that officiated with them in the NFL. Oh, he was on my crew. My gosh, I can't believe it. He worked with me 15 years in the NFL, and then talking to him about. How does it feel to work a Super Bowl? How do you select the different official teams for the different games uh, as a now neutral team works every uh, bowl game? How do you select them? Are they all-star teams and so on? It's good to find. Then also I asked that magic question, how much do you get paid for Ooh. working a national championship game as an official or a Super Bowl and so on? And So I find out a lot of things that I really haven't been able to know 
or sometimes haven't had the time to ask people who do know what the real answer is, and it's a lot of fun. Oh, that's great. Now, are you down there working at all, or is this more of a, a kind of a vacation for you? Well, let me put it to you this way. I'm always working a little bit because part of what I do is I like to work, okay, I, as far as finding out things, but most of it, it's just a vacation. I'm not doing any broadcasting except for you, Ryan. You, you are a guy that will not let me or give me a day <laughs> off, okay? I just want everyone to know you're a guy that found me. I just come upstairs to my room for one moment, and who calls me? Ryan Abraham, UFCfootball.com. So everybody gave me the time off but you. I, <laughs> right out of the pool, eating breakfast on your roommate there. That's nice. It's, it's good. <laughs> it was really nice. I signed his name, put the room number on him. Beautiful. He didn't know yet I signed his name. <laughs> well, he's going to find out soon. Uh, he will. Yeah. He will. Well, he won't get his credit card bill until I'm back at California. <laughs> well, Coach, I just want to talk a little about the Rose Bowl. I mean, it was uh, – for anyone that got to go down there, it really was a spectacle. Uh, just It was great seeing the, the clash of the different colors and the, the legendary coaches and the different uniforms, classic uniforms, kind of going at it. Obviously, USC jumped out to a big lead and then kind of hang on, hung on a little bit there at the end. What were your overall thoughts of, uh, of that Rose Bowl? Well, first of all, uh, I thought it was the best half of uh, football USC had played for the entire year. Secondly, I thought that Pete Carroll had prepared his team and excited his team to the highest element of excitement as far as ready to play that I've seen him had him ready to play the entire year. And thirdly, I thought that the adjustment they made offensively with Stanley Havili being injured and inserting the third receiver when they only used a two-back offense very seldom anyway was the biggest success to their offense, which made them as, as, uh, as explosive as they were in hitting the big plays down the field. They didn't really have a great success running the football, but Penn State could not handle that attack against USC as far as with Williams, uh, uh, Turner, and Johnson in the game all at the same time. Uh, if you noticed, there wasn't a lot of motions. It was simple, not a lot of substitution. Uh, they executed well. They caused mismatches. They threw the ball down the field in the post areas and areas they haven't thrown much during the year. They included the tight end McCoy into the game. So they spread the field, and they really executed a more simply fight offense. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Uh, ran the screen pass for a touchdown to uh, Gable. So I really think they really did that well. I thought on defensively, too, they really played sound defense. Uh, they limited Clark. Uh, Williams, too, they had that big play that was called back, Penn State, which I thought really hurt them. But uh, I don't think Penn State had played against a team with that much team speed on defense, which they already recognized, but on offense as far as how explosive they became with nothing against Stanley, Stanley Havili being out of the game, but I'm saying with the type of offense that they use against Penn State. No, I agree, Coach. And there was one I wrote a little piece on this this week. I noticed in the first quarter, I mean, they were just kind of feeling Penn State out a little bit, and they tried DJ Shoemate at fullback a couple of plays. There wasn't a lot of fullback, like you said. They did a lot of three-receiver sets. Uh, they put uh, Red Ellison back there a little bit, but it seemed to help out. I mean, they were getting – Sanchez was getting rid of the ball fast, and I talked to him in the locker room a little bit afterwards and some of the other guys, and it seemed to be – you know, they were worried about Maven getting in there and, uh, and coming in in that quick pass rush. So it looked like the timing – the passes were on, just timed really well, especially between Sanchez and Williams, and they were getting rid of the ball quickly. But I really saw it turn a little bit when they did bring in Adam Goodman to the fullback spot because he gave Sanchez a little bit more time, and they hit some of those deeper passes in the second quarter. And it seemed to once they put him in, and obviously they mixed up the offense, like you said, that kind of sparked the offense a little bit, and they just went on this tear, and they became unstoppable at that point. It did, and it would have continued, except in the third quarter, they sort of shut it down. And what they did was they played not to continue with the momentum of the game, but they continued not to lose the game rather than to win the game uh, by a blowout. And, and then again, when Penn State made that run and came back and got their 14 point, it took them, what, one drive to make it 38-14. It took them about three minutes, and they went down the field and scored again like they did in the first half by opening it up. And... Uh, so they were certainly the dominant team. It got real interesting for all the people in Las Vegas and everywhere else in the fourth <laughs> quarter when they snapped the ball over the punter's head and they were going to 
maybe not cover the game, but that's something that's uh, not exciting for me. It's, it makes me nervous, okay? I, I thought I of you things. at that point, Coach, because we were on the sidelines. They leave, we were, I was in the press box, and then we came down the last five minutes, and you know, Penn State had a legitimate shot to cut it to seven. They weren't going to win the game, but they could have beat the spread, and I instantly thought of you and all your cronies in Las Vegas and what they would have thought. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll tell you, I bet you there was a lot of people right around me nervous. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Especially people in the Rose Bowl too. I heard people talking to Rose Bowl about. Look at the spread, the spread. They got, they got a, yeah, Carrie Harris had to be a really popular guy. I didn't. I was going to ask him about it. I forgot to. But uh, yeah, I was just going to ask him. You know that you kept the the spread intact. You, did you ever think about that at all when you, he made the final interception in the end zone? It was it was pretty funny. It was really great. But I tell you, it made the game exciting and also, uh, you know, it sort of put an end. Uh, to this year's team, and now we'll find out exactly what happens with the final rankings after the national championship game uh, Thursday night, because I'm really interested to find out now how the voters saw that game. Now, I watched the, and you didn't ask me this question, if you don't want me to go this no, way. No, that's I fine. But that's good. I watched the Fiesta Bowl on uh, Monday night before I left for Miami, and, and I want you to know, I watched that game very closely, and I did not see the team speed on either team, it sort of surprised me because I know the team speed that Ohio State has. Uh, I was not impressed with the overall team speed of Texas. And uh, in the game, to me, after watching the Rose Bowl in person, I might be wrong, and SC in person, looked like a slower version of what I expected to see. And then when I look and see how Oregon you know, beat Oklahoma, and Texas, Oklahoma State and Texas Tech getting beat and so on, I start to wonder now just who are the two best teams in the country. And I think the Thursday night game, depending what happens with Florida and Oklahoma, and let's say, for instance, Florida, because of its team speed, and a lot of people say it, I've said, told you this the whole year, I think they're the fastest team in the country. See how they limit Oklahoma in this game, that who would really end up number two and three in the country if Florida was to blow out Oklahoma? Would it be SC? Would it be Utah? I mean, I, I don't know. It's going to be real interesting. I, I'm looking forward to the game. I think Texas thought that they had a shot, but then when you play, they played an inferior Big Ten opponent and still needed a last-second drive to beat them. I mean, you know, USC crushed the best team in the Big Ten and, and already crushed the, the second-best team in the Big Ten, and, and, you know, Texas goes and struggles with them in their bowl game and, you know, really could have lost that game. I don't know why Ohio State was blitzing like that instead of trying to keep them out of the end zone, but... Uh, you know, they just leave it wide open in the middle and, and Colt McCoy, you know, hooks up for that last touchdown pass and they win the game. Um, but, yeah, it, I don't think Texas has the same legitimate. You know, I think they had a legitimate gripe before. And it's hard. It's an imperfect system. And it's really hard to say everyone beat everyone else or whatever it is. But after watching them in the bowl game, I don't think they're really going to they wouldn't have the muster to jump up to a number one or number two or something like that. Now, Utah, you can look at differently. I mean, they have as much, you know, as, as much of a, a gripe as anybody, and uh, it's 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 hard to say. I mean, I, I don't think I think a lot of Trojan fans would like to see USC jump up to number one, but the the split title and all that. Everyone just needs to realize that when USC won the split title, they were number one in the AP poll, and no team has ever been number one going into their bowl game, won their bowl game, and dropped down. Now. That would mean, you know, could they jump above somebody? I don't know. I don't think they're going to drop the number one or number two teams or whatever that is. But, I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. When people talk about that split championship, it's not like some team coming from number four and number five and jumping all the way up. It was USC was number one in the AP, and they just stayed there when they won their bowl game. Yeah, I'm not suggesting they'll go to one. I'm saying that uh, if Florida was to blow out Oklahoma, that who would be two and three? Because Oklahoma would be number one in the national cha- – or Florida would be number one in the national championship. I would just wonder who would be two and three in this situation. And obviously it would be SC, I feel, against Florida if they had the one-plus game. But uh, I'll tell you, Utah, you know, of course, uh, uh, had a nice win over Alabama. But all year, and I don't know how much we talked about Alabama on your uh, broadcast, but I talked about it on other broadcasts. I I never did give Alabama the credit that I thought they deserved. I, I mean, I don't think they're that good. I mean, I shouldn't say it that way. I thought that he's done a great job of coaching, but you know, they weren't they weren't the team that everybody thought they were. Now they've lost two games in a row. Okay, so uh, I think they've still got some rebuilding to do there and so on. But I think Florida is a legit team. 
and I think Florida and SC would be a great game. If I was to rank it now, right now, if Florida was to beat Oklahoma, now, you know, if Oklahoma wins, that's a whole different story. I'd have SC number two. I know. I agree with you. And Alabama didn't look like an elite type of team. And the SEC got a lot of credit this year that I don't think they really deserved. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a great conference, obviously, but this year, there was a lot of teams that were getting ranked and getting, and there were people were getting credit for wins over teams that weren't that good. I mean, I think they still had Auburn in the top five after they won a game three to two. And like, you just have to drop, there's certain things that happen. You're like, okay, a top five team does not win a game three to two. And Texas Tech, you know, you give them credit for all the wins they had. If you get blown out by 40, you're not a top 10 team anymore. I'm a top 10 team. You well, know, it's well just, let me tell you, Mississippi was ranked 25, 25th in the country, I think, on the last BCS poll. They beat Texas Tech. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you know, you know, so that, to me, I start to question. You know, Texas Tech was 11-1. and one. Mississippi State was 8, or Mississippi was 8-4. and four. So, you know, and so I, I start to look at some of these things, and I wonder just how tough the Southeastern Conference is. I know Florida is great. Okay, no, no, they I'm are good. Questioning that they are great, but LSU lost some games this year. Yes, had a good bowl game and so on against Georgia Tech. That was a surprising game for me. The Definitely. Georgia Tech LSU game. I thought Georgia Tech would beat LSU, but LSU did come back and you know uh, win that game. In fact, Georgia Tech was favored by four points in that game. So, and then how about Iowa? Now, Iowa's a good team, uh, you know, but how, how great are they? They blow out South Carolina, you know, they, 31 to 10. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the Big Ten, I think that was the only win for the That Big was the only Ten, win they it? had, the whole conference. Yeah, so it's over a Southeastern Conference team. So, you know, uh, Tech, uh, Kentucky, of course, won, but they beat East Carolina, who was 9 and 4, and, and Rich Brooks got a nice win there. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was a late win, 25-19. But, but I'll tell you, that's what college football is all about. That's why I love the bowl games. That's why I don't like a playoff system, because you and I can sit and talk about it now and say, what if this, what if that, what if all these other things happen? And if we had a playoff system, we just couldn't do that, could we? <laughs> no, we couldn't, Coach. And I, I, the Pac-10... You have to hats off to the Pac. I mean, USC's opponents in the bowl games went five and zero. Notre Dame had a big win. Obviously, the rest of the Pac ten, you know, the, the whole Pac ten went five and zero. So four opponents for USC. Three of those teams that that the Pac ten played were all ranked. I mean, there were some tough matchups there where teams were underdogs and they came out and win anyway. Oregon State's win obviously wasn't really all that pretty, three to nothing. But you know, that's still still a win for them. To me, hey, you realize Mike Riley has never lost a bowl game at Oregon State. It's amazing. It is, is amazing. That, I mean, what people he's... always take you know get take get you know just say Oregon State. Hey, what are you talking about? Oregon State. You realize SC has not beat Oregon State this year in football or basketball. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think that's that was a pretty tough one. I mean, I'm going to say it because it's true. It is. It is. But th- this is what I want to see, Coach. Is that it doesn't matter as much now that the Pac-10 did really well. Maybe it'll help for for next year a little bit. But the Pac-10 needs to do this. They need to play tough in their out-of-conference games early in the season because that sets the table for the entire year. You know, even if they, they change their scheduling policies and just scheduled patsies, and then every Pac-10 team was three and zero or four and zero going into conference play, I think then the, the that's pretty much what the SEC does. And then everyone looks good, and you, at the end you got a couple teams with one or two losses, and they're going to be really highly ranked. Where the Pac-10. I mean, everyone was losing early, and you're losing these out-of-conference games, traveling back east the day before. We've talked about this before. Coach, something needs to change. They need to be able to do what they do as well in the end of the season as they can do at the beginning, get some big wins under their belt, and then the whole conference. Then USC probably wouldn't have been in this position, obviously, you know, honestly, if the Pac-10 would have did better in the beginning of the last year. Well, that's right, because really SC was in, in, in control of its own destiny the entire year. Started as the number one team in the country, would have had to go on undefeated the entire year in order to make it to the national championship game. When they lost early to Oregon State, really everybody started looking and pointing fingers at the Pac-10, which never allowed them to come back up to a, a state of being able to challenge for a national championship game. So, you know, when we look at it all, every it's a playoff system already during the year. And people have to understand this. We have a playoff system in place. If you lose during the regular season, it means a lot. And I don't think we ought to take that away. I think a regular season in playing on the road and playing at home and, and playing with injured players and not playing with injured players and so on should make a difference. And if you do win during the regular year and you have a great year like Utah did, they should be rewarded for it. And they were, as Boise State was 
two years ago or three years ago. And then uh, if you don't, then you have to pay the price. And this year, USC had to pay the price. Everyone knew it in losing to Oregon State. It was a huge game. They were not able to go up there and do what they had to do. Up to, if they had, they would be playing tonight or Thursday night, excuse me, in the Orange Bowl. Yeah, I, I, it's funny for the USC fans. A lot of USC fans want the playoff. I would, I would like to see a playoff as well. But I think it just doesn't be- work. I'm telling you, it doesn't work. But for How this can USC you have team, a playoff? you have to give up your 12th game of the season and your championship game to have it work. Now, is there enough schools in the country who are willing to give that up? Their incomes, teams that aren't going to be one of the 15, uh, 16 schools that are in the playoffs. I don't know. It would be it's not going to happen. No, it'd be tough to implement for sure. But I, I think two and a half million a game—that's about the average every university would have to give up. I think the the problem is that USC fans know that if there was playoffs in place, they'd probably have a couple more national titles under their belt. Just because this this team—I don't know if it's like kind of the NFL mentality that Coach Carroll has. This team seems to be that kind of a team where they would do well in a playoff system and maybe aren't the, the kind of team that necessarily would get up for each and every game. And obviously that's something Carroll's going to have to address because the last three years, you know, let down well, let games have this. hurt them. Right, right. You don't have to get up for every game. You can't get up for every game emotionally at the same peak as they were in the Rose Bowl. I, as I mentioned, that was the highest I've seen them, okay? But you have to understand that you have a target on your back and you're the biggest team on every team's schedule. It's their bowl game. When you went to, when you went to Corvallis last year, you're their bowl game. They can't have a bigger bowl game than that. When you go to Notre Dame next year, that's their bowl game. They won't have a bigger game than that. And remember, next year now they revert back to going to Cal, going to Oregon, going to Notre Dame. Ohio uh, State. Uh, Ohio State. I'm going to tell you, that's a whole different picture, and that's their bowl game. They have a reputation now for that. They're having a great recruiting year, as you know. They have a lot of changes in their staff, as you know. But you have to adjust to this, but you are the game that everyone points for because they have to recruit against you. You you put yourself into the position of winning so much that people really get ready to play you. They talk about it year-round, not the players, but the fans, television. Look how many times you're on national TV because everybody wants to watch them. So, you know, this is part of it. You've got to be able to get up to the level of making it a business trip and winning games that yet you should win. And coach, the funny thing about this team is, I think you know people look at the schedule of this you know 2008 versus 2009. Obviously, 2009 is going to be harder with all those tough road games, like you said. To me, I think USC has a better shot of winning a title in one of those tough years because they seem to be able to get up for those tougher games better than what they do on some of the, the lesser games. You know what I'm talking about? I do. I agree. And I'm going to tell you, some of the teams they play on the road next year, hey, Cal's going to be good. Oh, yeah. I want you to know, Cal, Oregon's going to be good. They're just rolling off. Look at the momentum the momentum both these teams are coming off of. They're all coming off of, of, of bowl victories. Ohio State's going to be good. Uh, Notre Dame just had a huge uh, victory in the Las Vegas Bowl. They're going to be good, better. they got a great recruiting class. So, uh, you know, yes, you're right. You're going to have to be ready to play on the road. And I agree, they do play Better when they play better teams and teams that are more recognizable. But Oregon State is a team you cannot take for granted. They proved it again. And, uh, you know, that's, I think they're one of the best coach teams in the country. Okay. I got a lot of flack. We're almost out of time, Coach, but I wanted to share this with you. I got a lot ah, of give it. I'm on vacation anyway. We can do it. Well, I got a lot of flack. On, uh, I wrote after the, the Notre Dame Bowl game when they crushed Hawaii. They looked as, as good as I've ever seen them look under Charlie Weiss. And I said this was like an early – Christmas gift for USC because USC needs Notre Dame to be good and they have an easier schedule next year. By the time USC plays Notre Dame, Notre Dame could easily be undefeated or at worst one loss. That you know they'll get extra hype because of the bowl game. They'll come into the season ranked. They could be a top ten team by the time USC plays them if everything works out okay. And that's a, a way better win for USC if you can beat a Notre Dame team that's now back on the national spotlight. And man, did the USC fans, they, there was a lot. I mean, there were some fans that understood, and there were some other fans that were like, I don't care what happens. I want Notre Dame to be 0 12 every year. I mean, they just didn't, they didn't care what it would mean for USC's national championship hopes. They just want Notre Dame to be terrible every year. Well, there's that type of rivalry. And, you know, it's one or the other. It doesn't make any difference. It's how you feel. That's what makes it a great game. No, I agree with you, coach. Well, 
what are you going to do? We're, we're, but we're out of time. I'm going to let you go back to vacation. You can go back to the pool, charging more meals to your, your roommate there who's lucky. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I can't say much about that now because he's now in the room, okay? Okay. Well, we won't so you got to be real careful about charging bills to his name. But, right. But, because uh, you know, he might know what my plan is. And then when I go back to California, I'm changing. I'm moving, you know. Right. I'm my phone number and everything <laughs> so he can never find me. Well, I hope I can still but, find you next week when we talk on the podcast. But uh, He'll find me. You know that. Hey, listen, let me tell you. It's a, it's, it was a great year for USC football. Be satisfied, everyone. How many teams in the country would like to say they were 12-1 and one and won their what? Fourth straight Rose Bowl game? Let's tell me that. How many teams or coaches would take that? I think a lot would. 118. Yeah. <laughs> the only one that wouldn't is USC. Yeah. But you know, there's 119 teams that play in Division One college football. 118 would have taken it. Yeah. All right. Well, Coach, thank you so much. It was a great year, and uh, we look forward to another year covering the Trojans with you on the podcast. It's been a lot of fun. We're approaching our year anniversary, so that'll be a fun show. But anyway, uh, enjoy your time down in Miami, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Let me ask you something before we go. Of okay. course, I know you got to mention Southern California Ticket Service. Any other commits uh, yet? Uh, John Martinez, I know, committed. But uh, anybody else on uh, verbally committed for USC? Yeah, no other commitments yet. There's a lot of talk of Devon Kennard, but the, because Nick Holt left, I think he's holding off a little bit there. If he likes the defensive coordinator hire, it looks like he will probably commit as well. He's one of the best players in the country. But we'll we'll talk to Gerard Martinez coming up, and I'll I should have you on that one as well, Coach. But yeah, you're always I would interested love to in have recruiting. Do me a favor. If there's anything that's uh, breaking on that, I will call. Please you. let me know. Give me a call down here in Miami. I will I'm on let vacation. You know. <laughs> Except for you. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, you Coach. Won't let me have any time off. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much, and thank you, Southern California Ticket Service, where you can get all the tickets you need to any event, sporting, musical, play. That make any difference. Just yeah. call them or go by and pass it in. You'll give them the number. Yeah, sctickets.com. Everyone else, we'll be back after this short break, talking some more Rose Bowl and recruiting and even some coaching changes. The Parastyle Podcast will be back after this short break. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. We now return to the Parastyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Parastyle Podcast. We are in the second segment and joined by uscfootball.com beat writer, Dan Wykey. Dan, what's going on, man? Happy New Year, Ryan. Thank you. Yes, we have a brand new show on the Parastyle Podcast, our first of 2009. Pretty excited. We're going to have our year anniversary coming up here in February, so that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I just wanted to talk to you. For those that didn't know, Dan did not make it to the Rose Bowl. I had to pinch hit for him. There was some sickness going around with a lot of the members of the media, uh, a lot of media events leading up to the Rose Bowl. And I don't know if it was food poisoning or some kind of virus, but a lot of members of the media got sick. So Dan was home rather ill. I had to go in and, and, and work the press box for him. But we did a nice little feature where he kind of put his observations live online, kind of a live blog from his couch. And I did a live blog from the press box and we kind of shared that. I think that worked out pretty well, Dan. Yeah, it was good. I, I did a lot. I had a good time in chat too. Um, I've never been like in chat during a game before like that. And uh, I was telling the guys in the chat that I, it gave me a really good sense of kind of, you know, Trojan football fan angst, you know, when, when Penn State, you know, scores early, everybody's like, oh my God, here we go. <laughs> and stuff like that. And, 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 you know, it was fun just to kind of ride the roller coaster a little bit with the guys like that. Well, yeah, what was the uh, overall mood of the chat, especially in the first quarter when it was close? Um, it was kind of like, you know, 
uh, you know, we were doing things, but like, you know, people were mad at Sark. People were like, you know, what's Sark doing? Why is he an empty backfield? All of this stuff, you know, why won't we just run the ball? And then, you know, sure enough, when Sanchez starts tearing up the game, like through the air, all of a sudden, Sark's doing great. He's a genius and stuff like that. It was really fun. It was, it was really interesting to kind of ride that. Like I said, it was, it was essentially like riding a roller coaster. Yeah, the empty backfield was definitely a point of contention because the first time they did it, they looked confused. It was third and three or something, and they got nothing. I mean, they no one was lined up right, and you're like, okay, great, empty backfield. Second time they go empty backfield, sack and a fumble. It gets called back because of a an offsides play. Maybe that's the brilliance of the empty backfield. It caused an offsides or something. But And then they only ran it one more time, and it was uh, Sanchez did his little draw up the middle, and they scored a touchdown on it. So I think Sark felt good once he got the third one to work. He didn't bring it out anymore. <laughs> That was a great play. I really liked that that Sanchez play. That was something they hadn't done all year, and, and uh, you know to have him drop back like that and run a draw. You know, um, Sanchez's athleticism is really kind of I think a little bit underrated. Definitely, it is, and it, you know it didn't look as pretty as Daryl Clark's when he ran his draw in from about the eleven. I mean that that was that's a quarterback draw, I thought. But you know Sanchez banged his way in there <laughs> and scored, and he did get the touchdown out of it. Yeah, no, it, it was a nice play. I mean, Sanchez just had a great game. I mean, you could tell even on watch TV how sharp he looked. He looked a little hyped up early, um, you know, miss, missing some receivers, overthrowing some balls. But he really settled down and, and really, I think, won the game for USC. I mean, with the way that he, with the way that he just kind of picked apart that defense. I mean, and not take anything away from the Penn State defense. I mean, that's a good defense. But Sanchez made him look almost kind of amateurish at times, especially in the secondary. And I thought the USC receivers had a great game. I mean, the catch, um, the highlight that I, that I kept coming back to was uh, the Ronald Johnson touchdown, his first touchdown where he was in traffic. Um, that was a great catch. That ball was thrown a little bit behind him in, in kind of a really tight little window. And, and Johnson adjusted kind of to to his backside towards the sideline when he was running almost like a skinny post and, and made just a great catch and took a hit. And I mean, that that was a catch that their receivers probably didn't make last year. No, and people probably forgot about that catch because he had that wide-open 50-yard bomb or whatever it was that was the big highlight when yeah. Sanchez rolled to his right and aired that one out to Johnson. But all the receivers did a good job. And, you know, we talked a little bit about the undersized Penn State secondary. I don't, I just don't think they, they ever faced a, a passing quarterback like Mark Sanchez that could exploit the biggest weakness on this Penn State, you know, good Penn State defense, really good Penn State defense, but the biggest weakness, they didn't really play anyone that could exploit it all that well, and obviously USC could. Yeah, I mean, the only, like, the only throwing quarterback that, the only, like, really good quarterback that I think they played this year, um, and without looking at their schedule, is a guy like C.J. Bechet, a Northwestern, who's a good quarterback, did a really nice job against Missouri, but, I mean, he's not Mark Sanchez. I mean, they're, they're not even in the same class. No, Juice Williams, is he the best passing I mean, those are the kind of quarterbacks that he faced. And, you know, and Pryor, I think he showed a lot of people. There's a lot of hype about Terrell Pryor in Ohio State. But, man, you watch that Fiesta Bowl. He was bouncing five-yard passes in there. He just didn't look like he could throw the ball at all. And they bring in Beckman, and he was completing long passes. They're like, why don't you just leave that guy in and try to get back in this game? But, I mean, those are the kind of quarterbacks Penn State has faced people that weren't going to be able to exploit that secondary. And I love the way the timing worked, especially between Sanchez and Williams, that he got rid of the ball a little bit quicker than he has in some of those other games. But the timing was so good between those guys and the the receivers were able to get open. They made a lot of plays, and I think they frustrated the heck out of that Penn State pass rush because everything was on rhythm, and they got rid of the ball before the Penn State rush could get to Sanchez. I mean, the, the Sanchez to Williams kind of sideline hitch play is a perfect example where Sanchez threw the ball. I mean, Williams hadn't even broken out of his route yet. And, I mean, the ball was right there. It was a great catch, big gain. I mean, Damien had, had, had a, a breakout day. I mean, really, I mean, you look, you look at where they're going to be offensively next season. I mean, there's going to be a lot of expectations for Damien Williams and stuff like that. I'll, I mean, nationally, I would think mostly because of how well he played. And when you look at how the offense is going to have to play next year, I mean, I th- I wouldn't. I, he's probably the next in line as far as the USC great receivers go. Is going to be Damian Williams, and he's different than Mike Williams, and he's different than Dwayne Jarrett because he's not a super big guy. He's probably more Steve Smithish than he is any of those other things. But he's a guy who's fast, really underrated speed, great hands, great route runner, and and and, and a really good team guy. I mean, he's going to be a leader on this team next year. There's no question in my mind. 
No, definitely. And you know, if you look at some of those big receivers that USC's had, like the Dwayne Jarrett's and stuff, they haven't done all that well in the NFL. Where Steve Smith, you know, obviously he is he is doing really well with the Giants. And I think Damian Williams has a, the capability of being something like that. Maybe he's a second round pick. Maybe he goes higher. I don't know. But he could go in there, do well at the combine, and impress a lot of people, and and, and do really well at the NFL level. Yeah, no, I, I could see that for him. I mean, you know, you mentioned the USC big receivers and stuff like that, and. And I don't know. I mean, this was kind of a point of contention this past week um, with uh, what Randall Carroll said um, and kind of how, you know, when he criticized USC for not developing wide receivers or something along those lines, um, you know, and I think that's a little bit unfair to put that on USC. It's not USC's job to have guys be successful in the NFL. It's USC's job to get guys to the NFL. And, and they've done that with their wide receivers. I mean, they've gotten guys there. And, and, you know, I mean, why Mike Williams or Dwayne Jarrett have, haven't worked out, um, you know, there's – I can't tell you exactly why. I mean, I'm sure there are varying opinions as to, you know, those two guys. But, I mean, you look at a guy like Steve Smith who, you know, is in his second year and has had – you know, has made an impact. I mean, made an impact as a rookie, helped that team win a Super Bowl. And then, you know, this year is obviously going to be a guy in the playoffs that the Giants are going to have to lean on without Plaxico Burris on the field. All right, well, let's talk about some of the uh, coaching changes. Uh, first on the offensive side of the ball, this team its going to depend on the offense next year with losing so many guys on the defensive side. Uh, what can you tell us about Carl Smith and, and John Morton and the new roles and everything? Okay, well, John Morton's going to be in the press box. He's still the offensive coordinator. He's going to run the meetings. He's going to install the game plan. But Carl, and he's going to be the face of the, me- the, the, face of the offense as far as like, the, the media goes and all of that stuff. Really, though, the kind of the, the guy, almost like the, the master in Oz or whatever, um, is going to be Carl Smith, the guy who's going to be calling all the shots. He's going to be the guy calling the plays in the games. And, and he'll be on the sidelines, more than in the press box. It'll be um, kind of similar. My understanding is to the Sark, the Sark, uh, Sark, Sark Kiffin relationship a little bit, where, I mean, you have two guys really with, who both have really big roles in, in what the offense is going to do next year. Um, that's my understanding of it. The Carl Smith hire was probably the worst kept secret in, you know, around campus just because, I mean, the guy, the guy had been out at practices. I mean, since, since he, they hired Morton, um, his name had been mentioned. Carol was never really coy about his, about his interest in Carl Smith saying that, you know, he was the leading candidate. He's been the leading candidate for like two months, you know, feels like. So, I mean, it's good to just finally get that finished and get him on board and then they can move on to their, their last two hires and, and, and move forwards. No, I agree. And I, I think people are going to be happy uh, with Carl Smith. The last job he took was, I mean, the last job he had was in Jacksonville, 2005, 2006 as the offensive coordinator. But every time he's come around the program, the offense seemed to get a little bit better. They, you know, the last Rose Bowl, uh, it just, something happens. You know, the, the Michigan one where, where USC put up all those points in a row. Something happens when he's around this offense. And I know people were kind of complaining about Sarkeesian and Kiffin and not really sure what's going on there. I think the good thing here is Carl Smith brings in his own personality. And, yeah, it's going to be the system that Pete Carroll has, but he has his own experiences, and he's got other things to tie into and rely on than just what was taught under that Pete Carroll umbrella. And I think that's going to help him. The one thing that Pete Carroll hasn't had has been often lately – has been assistants that are kind of outside of his normal circle. I mean, Carl Smith is in his circle, but has his other circles too, where they, his only Carl Smith's only coaching experience does not come under that Pete Carroll umbrella. So I think that's going to be a good thing. And he'll be able to push back to Pete Carroll a little bit if he has to, if he doesn't like the way a game is going. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, Carl Smith's been around, you know, um, for a while. He's got, you know, a t- tons of years of coaching experience. And I think that that's, you know, something where it's maybe easier for him to say something to Carol than, you know, maybe John Morton. Um, that's, I think, really the underrated part of this hire is that it's it's sort of like, you know, you're pairing Morton and Carl Smith together in sort of this, you know, offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, wide receivers coach, passing game coordinator hybrid between, you know, they're going to have all these responsibilities between the two of them. And there's I see there being a really nice balance between those two guys because, you know, Morton's a first-time coordinator, um, I don't want to say he's a yes man. That might be a little hard, but you know, when we've talked to him so far and stuff like that, he's been very, you know, company line, whatever coach says goes type of a guy. And, and that's great. I mean, that's, it's, it's nice to have your, to know your assistants are going to execute what you want them to execute. But at the same time, you know, 
you, you sometimes you need a second spoon in, in the soup to stir it, you know? And, and like, that's, I think where Carl Smith comes in and, and that's where I think he'll be able to say, you know, you know, Pete, well, we should do this or, you know, you know, Pete, um, I like what you're saying, but I think we could do this better or differently or something like that. And I think that'll be Carl Smith's kind of job is sort of, sort of the guy who, who on the staff who does get to push back a little bit. Carl Smith, the second spoon. All right. Well, let's look at the defensive side. <laughs> I don't know where that expression came from. I'm not um, sure. Maybe that's I liked a, it though. Maybe it's a Michigan thing where you grew up. But anyway, let's talk about the defensive side of the ball. Um, <laughs> he grew up in such Illinois, a, everybody. You're such but, a jerk. <laughs> uh, the defensive side of the ball. What's going on over there? I was in Nick Holt leaves for the University of Washington. He'll be the the actual defensive coordinator instead of just kind of someone under Pete Carroll there. Uh, what's, what's going on in that front? Uh, you know, right now that, you know, they're, they're looking, um, there's been some names that have kind of come up and, and some guys that, you know, obviously if they, the trend would say that they would hire, um, one of, they would go one of two ways, you know, um, they would either hire from inside their own staff, um, you know, promoting a guy like, like Rocky Seto or Ken Norton to defensive coordinator, and then they'd have to go find a defensive line coach, maybe somebody like Jethro Franklin or something like that. Or the other option seems to be out there is that they can hire somebody, like you said, that that's kind of under that Carroll umbrella who's been with them in the past or coached with Pete in the past who, you know, is um, ready to come back to USC. Um, the name that I'm probably most excited about is Ed Orgeron, I think would is a wonderful fit for this job. Um, he, he would slide right into that defensive coordinator, defensive line coach role, um, he would not have the entire responsibility of being a first-time technical defensive coordinator because he'd be learning under Carroll. And, I mean, he would be the best possible person to hire a month before signing day. I mean, I can't think of anybody else you would rather bring in a month before signing day to help seal the deal with guys like Devon Kennard, Corey Adams, and really push maybe, you know, towards some surprise guys, you know, as as we come down the line here. No, it's a, it's a good point. I mean, but, you know, I'm – close to the Tennessee site and it looks like he's out in the recruiting trail over there. I, I think because he already was hired somewhere, that would be a really tough, it'd be a great, I think it would be a great get for USC. There's some USC fans that, that weren't fans of him, but for the most part, everybody loves coach. O. you know, and you got to work with him down at old miss. I think it'd be a great hire. I think it's to be tough right now just because he was already hired at Tennessee and it looks like he's kind of getting his feet wet there already. Well, I mean, he's got to do that though. I mean, you know, this, this opportunity wasn't open until, you know, a couple of days ago. And it's something, you know, he had a job, he took the opportunity that was there, and now there's a better, you know, I mean, assuming that being the defensive coordinator at USC is better than being the defensive line coach and recruiting coordinator at Tennessee, there's a better opportunity out there. I think that, I mean, coaches have done this before in the past. This, this wouldn't be the first time that a coach has had a job or flirted or, you know what I mean, and, and been new into a job and been kind of flirtatious with maybe taking something else right away and, and actually maybe even pulling the trigger and doing it. I don't think he's out of the picture strictly because he's got another job. I think that's a harder, maybe becomes a harder sell to him because of, you know, Orsaron's relationship with the Kiffins and stuff like that. And, you know, he's close with them and he might not want to disappoint them, but I think you would have to hope that the Kiffins would understand that this is an opportunity for Orsaron to go to, to the place where he coached at the longest, the place where he really made his name on a national sale, the place that, the place that got him, you know, the Ole Miss job, the place that helped get him, you know, the New Orleans Saints job and really build his reputation as the best defensive line coach in the country. I mean, the, I would say that there's, I mean, to me, it just makes way too much sense. If I was USC, that's the guy I would go after. That's the guy I would throw money at. And that's the guy that I would say, you know what, Ed, we want you back home. Now, if you look at the internal candidates, Rocky Sato, He's been around longer than Pete Carroll at USC. And, you know, he, he's a guy that everyone says knows the defense as well or better than anybody else. And he's a really mm -hmm. smart character. You know, he's a guy. He's a nice guy. Uh, you know, the, the players seem to love him. He knows the defense really well. Uh, coach Norton is kind of like the voice. He's, he's out there yelling and screaming and having fun. You know, his first coaching experience has come at USC. So, obviously, this would be his first time becoming a defensive coordinator and having that much uh, responsibility not as um not as friendly i guess you could say doesn't really like to talk to the media doesn't like to talk to the media doesn't like his players to talk to the media which is pretty different than than pete carroll's you know philosophy where he lets everybody talk all the time no one's ever limited as far as that goes uh so it'd be a little bit different 
Uh, but it could keep him away from joining UCLA, who you know, Dwayne Walker left, and they're going to you know, for sure try to get him. So there's a lot of dynamics there. What do you do? Do you, you, you promote guys, you give them new titles, whatever, to try and keep them on the staff if you don't upgrade them to that defensive coordinator spot? I don't think you can be afraid of losing anybody. I, you know, I don't think the right reason to promote somebody is because you don't want them to go somewhere else. Um, you know, I, really, I mean, I think, you know, if Ken Norton, if his heart's at UCLA and that's exactly where he wants to be, he's going to end up there. You know what I mean? And, and that's something I think where you, you look at him as a defensive coordinator and you say, well, is he really ready right now to, to take over this defense? A defense that's going to be in transition. You know what I mean? And you look at Rocky and Rocky makes sense in that regard because, you know, he has been around for so long and, you know, he has co- he's coached linebackers, he's coached the, the secondary, you know, he's, been, he's done both of those, and then you bring in a defensive line coach. The thing, though, I, I hate to get back to Orgeron, is that that's one hire you have to make. You don't have to make any other moves. You just hire Orgeron, and it's, uh, it fits, you know, all your problems. It gives you a defensive line coach, and it gives you a defensive coordinator all at once, you know, and, and I do think that that makes sense. To, if, if you can do this and go about this with one hire, plus when you look at the hires that they've made, so far this um, this off season or since you know the UCLA game, they haven't been the sexiest tires in the world, and that's not to, that's no disrespect to Carl Smith or to John Morton, or you know to to, to retaining Rocky Seto in the first place or anything like that. But they haven't really gone out and made a splash or anything like that. If they brought in Orgeron, that would make a splash. That would I mean that would that would rock the recruiting world with, you know, a month ago. And, and I mean, and I get a feeling that Pete likes some of that, that kind of sense of dramatic and, and would love to just to throw USC right back into the mix like that. I mean, because consider, I mean, people already, you know, talk about USC in recruiting circles fairly highly as is. You had a guy like Orgeron. I mean, that's like the Celtics trading for Garnett and, and Ray Allen on the same, you know, and getting those two guys on the same day. All of a sudden you've, you've gone from, you know, being a, 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 just a recruiting force, just being a juggernaut of recruiting. I mean, you've got Ken Norton holding down Los Angeles. You've got Orgeron doing what Orgeron does, grunting and, and, you know, drinking Red Bull and tirelessly, like, scouring over film and stuff like that. It, I to, to me, it just makes too much sense. I get way too excited just thinking about it. It seems, it seems you like that. That's good. All right. All right, Dan. Well, that's, uh, that's good stuff there. We will talk to you next week. I'm sure when we have you on next week, we'll have a lot more news. We'll probably have some hires in place. And also, the juniors, where they're going to go. So we, no, so far, just quick update on the juniors. Uh, Mark Sanchez and Taylor Mays, what's going on there? Um, I actually spoke with Taylor Mays yesterday, and he said that he um, is kind of holding off right now. He wants to announce at the same time as Mark. He's thinking early next week. Um, I mean, my gut says that he's gone. I, I, I don't see a reason why he would stay. Um, you know, he's going to be a first-round pick. Um, teams have expressed interest in him in the teens already. Um you know, obviously, I have ties to Chicago, not Michigan, <laughs> and people around Chicago actually uh, have been writing about Taylor Mays as a guy that they would love to draft in the first round. And I mean, that's if he falls to them, you know, around 15 or 16 or whatever they pick. I mean, so I don't even think he'll be available on the board at that point in time. So I think he's got to go. Sanchez is a little tricky. I think the thing with Sanchez is he's waiting to see what Stafford does, what Sam Bradford does, what some of these other kind of high-profile quarterbacks do. And he wants to come in at the right time. He's very aware of that. And, and you know what I mean? I think he wants to come in at the right time. He said some stuff after the Rose Bowl that would lead people to believe he's leaning to coming back. Um, I, would, I would tend to agree with that. I just think that, you know, if the opportunity is right for him to come out this year where he can be one of the you know, top two quarterbacks, I think he'll come too. I think he'll leave too. Yeah, I mean, if he comes out, who knows? Your Detroit Lions could p- pick him at the first pick. Who knows? But we'll see. We'll see. All right, Dan. Well, thank you very my, much. My Lions. My Lions, huh? All <laughs> you're, right. You're, I thought you were a Michigan Great. guy. Anyway, all right. Well, thanks, Great. Dan, for your insights. Thank you. We will talk to you again next week. Can't wait. All right, everyone else. <laughs> we'll be right back. We're going to talk to Gerard Martinez all about recruiting. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network.
It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk recruiting in this segment. So, of course, we're going to lean on Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com recruiting analyst. Gerard, what's up, man? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Pretty good. Thank you very much for joining us. Just want to get right into it. Uh, you were down at the U.S. Army All-American Bowl uh, down in San Antonio. A lot of USC targets down there. Uh, the West came up a little short, but what were your, your overall impressions of the game and, and the USC targets there? Well, they actually came up a lot short. Uh, <laughs> they, you know, I think offensively, um, you know, it was kind of interesting because I think the, the receivers on the offense, uh, they were running uh, Centennial's uh, no-huddle spread offense. And Matt Logan was actually the offensive coordinator. Matt Logan's a tremendous coach. I mean, he's done some tremendous things with the Centennial program. And uh, I think it was just a little unfortunate. I think some of the top-rated receivers that they had in the game, um, they didn't bring their A game uh, to the bowl. And they really didn't practice like they wanted to be there. Uh, you had Shaquille Evans. Uh, you had uh, uh, big kid uh, Kendall Kelly from uh, Alabama actually playing for the West team. And uh, you had, uh, obviously, you know, Randall Carroll being a USC commit and a guy who's considered, you know, one of the fastest players in the nation. And, and those guys kind of teamed up for the West team, and they didn't really do a great job. Uh, I was a little disappointed in, in watching them practice and, and seeing how they played, and I think that that had a lot to do with the West not really being able to be on track uh, with what they were doing offensively. They also had Ruben Randall there, who's uh, rated the number one player in the nation by Rivals.com. Uh, my humble opinion, I think that's got to change. Um, but it was one of those things that just, uh, I, I think, you know, that's a, that's a system that's built on really efficient receiver play. At Centennial, they have a kid named Ricky Marvray who's committed to UCLA. He's, he's a tremendous receiver. UCLA got a huge steal with him. Um, that's a kid that, you know, he's not a 4-4, 4-3 guy like Randall Carroll, but he catches everything that comes within 10 feet of him, and he runs superior routes, uh, gets great separation. He's a strong kid. He's a competitor. That kind of kid, they kind of sort of missed down there in San Antonio for the West team. So that was a little disappointing. I, I was surprised that, uh, that some of the guys didn't really show up like they were supposed to, didn't have the competitive juices flowing. And we'll see, you know, with a guy like Randall Carroll, obviously we know that um, he's been wavering and, and talking about other schools, been pretty open with his uh, – I don't know his uh, his feelings about USC and, and about uh, maybe having to decommit and go to uh, UCLA or maybe a Cal. It seems like Cal is definitely a team that's high on his list when I talk to him there in San Antonio. So you know, um, with 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 what I saw there in terms of uh, the work ethic those guys were putting in, you know, you you want to be a Trojan, you're going to have to work a lot harder and you're going to have to realize it's going to be competitive situation. And down there in San Antonio, it seems like those guys didn't really step up, you know, to the to the competition to the level uh, that they needed to to be able to uh, be competitive with the East team this year. Now a couple uh, big time USC commits there like Vontez Perfect, TJ McDonald, some of the especially guys on the defensive side of the ball. How did they look to you? They look great. Uh, you know the defensive secondary was actually very good, and they gave up some big plays in the game. Um, but you know watching them during the week and and you have to still take into context it's an all star game and and you know these guys are just kind of running around a little bit. Uh, you know TJ McDonald's 215 pounds right now, and he's almost six three. He's a big dude, and he's, you know, we saw him earlier in the year. I think the first time we saw him was at one of our five-star academies, and, you know, here's this kid, and he's 6'2", maybe uh, about 200 pounds, and, you know, we're going, well, he doesn't quite, you know, we know he's Tim McDonald's son, but he doesn't quite look like those big, huge linebacker-type safeties that they use at USC. Well, guess what? He's filled out. <laughs> he looks exactly like the type of safety that's just imposing physically uh, on the line of scrimmage or back in coverage. He's a leader. Uh, he's a guy that's got that confidence, and you can just see everybody kind of falls in line behind him. The best defensive player, I think, of the entire event was Vontez Perfect. Uh, you know, Vontez came in, and obviously a, a lot of hype around him. Just like he did at the Nike camp earlier this year, the guy met expectations to a T. I mean, he everything that he was required to do in terms of run stopping, making big hits, being around the ball. You know, even though the East uh, won pretty pretty handily, 
he was all over the field making great plays, and we actually had some highlights from the game of him go up. And in an all-star game where you're rotating constantly, he had a lot of highlights in that game. So, uh, you know, I think the USC guys, you know, Patrick Hall, uh, Byron Moore, Byron Moore played pretty well in the game too. I mean, he was playing some safety, came in, rotated with Patrick Hall, both those guys throughout the week had highlights, had a lot of things. Patrick Hall ended up winning the fastest man competition of the event, which is shocking going back to talking about Randall Carroll, who's running a 10-4-2. You, know, you figure in that kind of environment where you've got these guys all competing against each other and you know, you've got uh, the fastest man in California, you figure the competition level would get those guys going. Well, I got Patrick Hall going because he whooped everybody in that run. And, uh, you know, I think uh, Randall ended up coming up in like second or third uh, in his heat, <laughs> let alone the overall uh, race. So, uh, you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting to see when you get good players around good players, you know, who steps up and, and who kind of wilts a little bit. And uh, Patrick Hall, you know, was definitely a guy out there that, uh, you know, did every, every little thing he could do, you know, whether it be on defense or we saw one of the plays of the whole game, was when uh, he was back on kick coverage, and um, he was lead blocking for Cliff Harris on the kick return, and the guy just stepped up and put a shoulder pad in a uh, somebody I don't even remember who it was. It looked like it was a linebacker. Put the dude right on his back, and you know that's that's pretty impressive. You don't see a lot of five star guys wanting to do that. Those guys tend to step out of the way when it comes to kickoff return blocks. But Patrick Hall, he uh, he wanted a piece of somebody, and he got a piece of somebody. <laughs> uh, the Friday before the game. There's always interesting that junior combine. We were there last year, and man, there was four or five hundred just stud juniors out there, you know, doing all kinds of drills and stuff. Uh, one of the guys in particular seemed uh, he has an interesting name, kid out of Texas. He seemed like he was uh, pretty high on USC. Could you talk about that a little bit? Lake Seastrunk. Uh, he's maybe the next Noel Divine in terms of uh, being an internet sensation before his time. Uh, a lot of people were looking at him uh, coming out of this. You know, his freshman to sophomore years and, and uh, just going crazy over his highlight tapes. Very dynamic running back from Temple, Texas. Uh, ran a 4-5 flat, um, probably even a little faster than that on his second run. Um, just tremendous quicks. Uh, very sudden player. Uh, USC's already got two commitments in the 2010 class from running backs. And both those guys are, are, are very fast and they're very good in the open field. Seastrunk is just a little different. He's got a little more of that C.J. Spiller, uh, juke, stop, go on a dime type uh, ability and, and, and attributes. It, it, watching him down there, I mean, it was it was pretty pretty evident he wasn't going to be able to be covered by any linebackers. I mean, you know, at one point I, I told him, I said, dude, you need to be down there with the receivers and uh, and the two cornerbacks because there's nobody down here who can really stay with you. So he was kind of having fun and. And uh, we got obviously some some good video of that that we'll be uh, producing here in the next couple of weeks of of all these uh, all these juniors that were down there at the at the national junior combine. And the real news that came about from the combine, at least for USC fans, was that uh, Lake was down there and he was sporting a lot of SC gear. He came into registration the day before and he had his SC uh, windbreaker on and kind of caught some eyebrows, but it was a black windbreaker, so people were like, oh, you know, a lot of people didn't really notice it. And then the next day he showed up in these big SC socks, and uh, a lot of people were like, wow, you know, I mean, SC's got a chance at them. It's definitely going to be one of those deals where uh, they're going to be recruiting him maybe for a long time. His recruitment may develop uh, throughout the course of the year. I know he wants to get to the Rising Stars camp at USC, but uh, seeing the pressure and, and just kind of the craziness that's going to go on in his recruitment, that's already gone on in his recruitment. You know, you'd figure he's going to try to make an early commitment, get things over with so he doesn't have the pressure. But at the same time, I just kind of wonder if, if that's going to happen. I, I could see, you know, it, it, it being one of these deals that kind of spills over into his senior year and being one of those crazy storylines that we see in recruiting all the time. So uh, my vibe uh, at the end of the day is, is probably come down to LSU and USC. Um, but he, he's a tremendous talent. He's probably going to be a five-star type candidate here uh, when we start uh, doing rankings and whatnot. But uh, definitely some good news that, uh, you know, he's got some uh, USC gear already uh, tucked away in his drawers. All right. Well, Trojan fans will be uh, watching that one closely as that goes on. Uh, go back to some of the 2009 class. Um, there's a story you put up, uh, I think it was yesterday or the early this morning, Devon Kennard, uh, the five-star stud out of Arizona. It looks like 
It, it seems, you know, everyone felt that it was USC's to lose, but now with the defensive coordinator kind of thing up in the air, what's going on overall with his, with his recruitment? Well, it was definitely an interesting 48 hours for him uh, coming away from San Antonio, expecting to uh, host uh, Nick Holt, uh, Pete Carroll, and Brandon Carroll in home Monday night. And uh, he got word that uh, uh, Nick Holt might be leaving to Washington, kind of sort of like we got. And then kind of sort of like we got got word that he was staying at USC. And then by the time that uh, Pete ended up uh, arriving at the house, uh, it was confirmed that he was, in fact, uh, leaving and going to Washington. So Devon uh, was definitely over the place. And at the same time, he had the uh, Texas-Ohio uh, State game going and uh, was was watching that. Uh, he actually TiVoed that as uh, Pete Carroll came to the house. Um, so, it, you know, it was a lot kind of to juggle <laughs> a little bit with him. Um, he's certainly still very interested in USC. Um, I think that... Uh, you know, USC in a lot of ways is in the driver's seat. They've got to get a defensive line coach, a defensive coordinator, the guy who comes in and, and, and sits down with him in home uh, that they hire. It's got to make a good impression on them. If it's a guy that comes in and just rubs in the wrong way, you know, Texas is going to get themselves a five-star defensive end. So that's really where it is right now. Um, he's done his official visits. Uh, Texas may try to get in for another in-home visit now that he's not going to commit. His plan was actually to commit next week sometime, um, but that's obviously postponed. It's going to be a commitment that's probably closer to signing day. He didn't say signing day. He kind of wants to get it done before that but it's going to be closer to signing now. So we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens, and, and he's just going to kind of wait by and, and uh, kind of see what the process is for USC and in, in, in selecting a new defensive coordinator. The one little tidbit that he was able to, to talk to us and share with us was that it sounds like it's, you know, somebody, at least if Pete had his druthers, he wants to bring in somebody who's got some, uh, some experience within the program. That kind of seemed to be the one thing that, uh, that Pete conveyed to Devon Monday night in, in the meeting. Uh, he wanted to bring somebody in that kind of knew how USC likes to operate, understands the system, understands the program, and uh, wouldn't be would kind of come in and wouldn't miss a beat necessarily. I, I, it seems like they'd rather not go in with somebody that's completely new, uh, completely um, unfamiliar uh, with USC football. All right, and then last one, another five-star guy. I don't know if anyone else can talk about as many five-star guys as USC does each and every year, but they always have a bunch of them in their recruiting class, and uh, this guy has been a five-star forever, Matt Barkley. Uh, got dropped out of the number one rankings from rivals and then goes on, you know, because he had a, you know, had a tough year with all those interceptions at modern day has a huge game in, in his all-star game. Can you talk about him a little bit? Yeah, not a big surprise. Um, you know, he, he, we talked about this throughout the year. I've written recruiting out pieces on it. Um, the, the truth of the matter is Matt Barkley didn't have a great offensive line this year. He had a, had a pretty inexperienced offensive line uh, and skill positions just weren't that great either and the best you know skill guy he had in his whole team was a sophomore Victor Blackwell so that's that tells you a little bit of something about where they were uh, at modern day this year and kind of what they were building towards um Matt got to play with guys that were close to his talent level and uh took advantage of it I mean he was spectacular in the game uh he was hitting guys all over the place he the first play from scrimmage uh for his team uh hit hit a slant route to Marlon Brown who uh, as a 6'4", 6'3", 200-pound receiver, came out here at the Rising Stars camp, uh, looked tremendous in, uh, in making the catch and running away from people. Uh, a lot of people were kind of wondering, hey, you know, how come USC isn't still recruiting Marlon Brown? Well, Marlon Brown wasn't spectacular at the Rising Stars camp, and, and you know, I, th- I think in the game he looked a little better than he <laughs> looked during the summer. Um, but but Barkley just was on it, you know, and, and it's just one of those things that um, people get wrapped up in the interceptions he threw this year, uh, people got wrapped up in stats instead of really looking at the guy, looking at the throws he can make, looking at the person he is, the leader he is, uh, his ability to kind of uh, uh, to work with people, make better, make his make his teammates better. You know, even though they struggled at modern day to a certain extent, I mean, they still you know they lost to Tesoro, who ended up in the CIF Southern Section Championship. Um, Matt still did make a lot of players around him better, and he he still offensively they did some good things. He just tried to make too many plays. He and even in this game he had a couple throws where he tried to force it a little bit, 
and uh, he, he probably you know needs to, to, to tuck it down, throw it out of bounds, do something like that in the future. But he's a guy that just wants to make plays, and, and he's definitely got a little bit of that Carson Palmer type thing going on with him. Uh, he was so much better than any quarterback we saw in any of these All-Star games. It's not even funny. And I think when you look at that, you have to you have to consider him one of the best players in the country. I think it was a mistake by Rivals.com to to drop him. Uh, I think they just followed basically what ESPN was doing because they looked at his stats, and that was completely completely wrong. That's that's stats are not something that I think weigh a lot in evaluations. Um, and so you know, I mean, it is what it is. I think we're going to see a little bit of change. I think we'll see some updating, quote unquote, in the rankings because you got the number one quarterback in the country. That's always going to entail one of the top, probably five players in the country, and in my opinion, uh, quite frankly, I think it makes more just as much sense to put him as number one in the country. I've seen some of the guys that they put up there uh, instead of Matt Barkley, Ruben Randall being one guy, uh, you know, uh, Russell Shepard. These guys are great athletes, are great players, but they don't encompass that position of quarterback, which is the most important position on the field, like Matt Barkley does. And I think that's uh, that says a lot. So, you know, that's my humble opinion. No, definitely. And a well-informed opinion, we always add, Jar. Well, hey, thank you very much for uh, sharing your insights. And we'll, I think up until signing there, we're going to probably have to have you on every week because there's going to be so much going on in USC recruiting, and you always know what's going on. It's always great to hear from you, Gerard. Thank you for having me. All right, everyone else been a great show we will see you next week next wednesday we'll be talking more usc football recruiting all kinds of coaching change we'll talk about it all we'll see you next week you've been listening to the peristyle podcast presented by uscfootball.com be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on trojan football and recruiting and don't forget you can now download the podcast directly to your ipod or mp3 player Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.